G'day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Talking Night Haunt, where all things spooky ghosts and bed towel sheets and uh, ethereal saves and deathless minions. But uh, more importantly, I am the coach here, and uh, we're going to be talking all things Night Haunt. We're going to be focusing on one of Matt Tyrrell, the mayor, my special guest for tonight. We're going to talk about how you get to use Night Haunt. What do they look like in the current meta? And get a bit of, bit of advice from Mayor. Uh, Mayor, you've done incredibly well with Nighthawk. Came 18th at CanCon, which is Australia's largest tournament. You're not only just uh, a great Nighthawk player, but you are just an absolute death mastermind running Black Knights before they were a thing. Um, ETC captain, I think you were. Yeah. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Ma Masters level player. Uh, just overall nice guy as well, despite what the internet says. Um, how are you, mate? I'm good, thanks, buddy. That's a pretty good introduction. Is that all right? Yeah, it'll do. <laughs> we'll, we'll just ignore what the internet says about you, but you are the mayor of Dubbo as well. So uh, thank you very much again for uh, you know taking the time out of your your, your duties to to hang with us and talk all things Nighthawks. Uh, thanks, man. No, all good. It's a pleasure. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to introduce yourself, or should I just go to the the, the question? Oh, I think most people know me. Yeah, all, all good. Right. Well, if people don't know you, you are a friend of the channel. You've been on here many times. Um, you've done some faction focuses. Did you do Night Haunt with us? I know you've done some other faction no. focuses with me in the past. You did OBR. I remember that. Was, I did OBR. Yeah, I got I got smashed by. I made some jokes like you know staunch lords, and you know <laughs> I made some jokes about Night Haunt. Some people got a bit bit uppity at me. So we'll keep it to script when it comes to Night Haunt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nah, all good, man. I'm I'm pretty keen. All right. Well, let's. Uh, was it? Let's let's start. Let's start things. I was going to make a doom and darkness joke, but I was going to completely <laughs> butcher it already. How did you get into Warhammer? First and foremost, what was your introduction? How did you get into this wonderful hobby? Um, well, I've always been uh, interested in it um, growing up, but I never sort of never took the plunge um, until only a few years ago. But before that, I was playing all the computer games that they released and um, and all that sort of thing. But it wasn't until about five years ago, um, another local player, uh, Jesse Perkins, um, he started painting up his his uh, starter box. I think it was the is it the Battle for the Pass or something. It had the um, dwarves and uh, yeah, dwarves and, yep. and the the grots. Yep. Um, so and he said, and the store uh, G Dub store opened in Aubrey and. Um, that's what got me started back then, and that was Warhammer Fantasy at the time. Um, and I started on the Ogres and, uh, yeah, had a lot of fun with them for six months or so while while uh, AS, AOS was about to come out, and then it came out. And then, um, yeah, and then jumped straight into AOS and haven't looked back, been loving it ever since. Um, played a bit of 40K mainly because most players around here are 40K, but... I uh, didn't enjoy the game as much. Um, so, yeah, love an AOS and um, that's sort of probably the best best way I got into it. Yeah, that's the main way I got into it. Um, and, yeah, just... Uh, that's very yeah. cool. By the way, I swung my chair around because on my shelf I have this wonderful, wonderful video game, which is Warhammer Shadows of the Horned Rat, which <laughs> uh, ensure you you need to have Windows 3.1, Windows 95 or Windows 98 to play this amazing battle uh make sure you've got a pentium 90 megahertz or above <laughs> classic classic i love those warhammer games they were so good 
Uh, How many CDs total. is it? Oh, I think this was only one CD, but uh, uh, it was an absolute uh, cracker. This particular, it was like Empire versus Skaven. Uh, yeah. Part of part of my love of the Empire, and it was just amazing to to play. But um, yeah. good to have you here, man. And you know, you, we, we've had we've obviously had a game together at. Uh, we played at Border Wars, uh, yeah, where you were yeah. running, you know, you're a long-term death player. You played at the, the Masters, which is the highest level in Australia, you know, an invitational best of the best, and uh, you're very, very good. So I guess, you know, being that you are so good at this game, um, and you are very good, why would you choose Nighthorn? Why, at the world's largest tournament with 220-odd players of all of the armies, whether it was Legion of Grief, even, like, to take this build and put it in Legion of Grief, why would you choose Nighthorn over every other build of death? Um, it wasn't because I thought it was going to win. It was more the fact that um, only a couple of months beforehand at Masters, I did win Masters, and that was with um, OBR. Um, Petrofix Elite. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I played that tournament and um, I enjoyed winning, but I didn't enjoy the way the interaction with your opponents was with that army. Um, and coming up to CanCon, you, you tend to play a lot of players that aren't high-ranked players, if you know what I mean, in the in the, in the the meta. And, you, and I don't want to take an army like that that would just have opponents not enjoying the games. Um, and Can so CanCon, CanCon's that flagship event where uh, whether it's your one big event for the year, whether as you're catching up with mates, it does bring literally everyone, not just, you know, very very competitive players play, but also yeah. that casual. So I can imagine, yeah, uh, player yeah. experience is important to you. Yeah, that's right. And like, because it, it's, it's such a big tournament with so many players, going into game three, even game four, you still can be playing against players that might finish, you know, at 100, position 100 or out of 200. So you, you're still playing against the non-competitive players, if you know what I mean. So you, I, I didn't want it this year. I just didn't want to do that. After, as I said, after winning Masters, you sort of, I hadn't, didn't have that drive to want to win um, at CanCon. So um, Nighthaunt was an army that I bought uh, and started collecting when it first came out. Like I had, I, I got the, the limited edition Nighthaunt book um Ooh, number no, number 725 out of 750 <laughs> um so yeah I, i've had them all along and i really enjoyed the aesthetic of the army and, and just the way they look i just love the models um but when it first came out i just found that it wasn't the most competitive army well personally i didn't feel that um so fast forward a couple of years year and a half, whatever it's been. Um, coming into CanCon, I had some really nicely painted models like the Black Coach and Lady Ollander and Kurdos and, and you know, all the whole army that I took was all nicely painted. I'd painted it up, but I'd never taken it to a tournament. Mm. Um, and it's probably, out of all my armies, it's the most nicely painted army I own, um, but I'd just never taken it to a tournament for the simple fact that where I live, um, I don't get that many opportunities to play in tournaments year-round. Um, so normally if I'm going to a tournament, I'm going to win to, or, or finish high enough that I'm getting points to qualify for Masters. So Masters has always been what I've strived for. 
Um, so therefore, after last year making Masters, this year was like, oh, well, I don't need to strive for that as much. So um, coming into CanCon, as you said, one of the biggest of the biggest AOS event in the world, I wanted to have a nicely painted army and just show it off to others in the community. Um, and yeah, and to have fun. Like I honestly went into that tournament. Uh, I drove up with Jesse Perkins and I was saying, like I was chatting to him the whole way. I said, if I leave the tournament four and two, I'd be extremely happy. Like I honestly, I wasn't expecting to win any more than like four. Like I, I was extremely happy with four wins. Um, so going into day two, winning my fourth game and still two games to go, um, or my third game, sorry, with three games to go, I lost my fourth game. Um, I was, yeah, I was already happy and stoked <laughs> with that, with the results. So, um, yeah, and this, so is, this, is, this is interesting for me because um, as a night, as people who are building Nighthaunt, so you're right, like Soul Wars came out, you know, Stormcast versus Nighthaunt. Not everyone jumped onto, onto the Nighthaunt. Um, as Deeks pointed out in the chat, they are dead sexy models. Um, yeah. Some of those models are just are just brilliant, and they're a lot of fun. Whether you play with them or just paint them, they they are a spectacular range. And what what Games Workshop can do now with the model range and create that floating kind of ethereal look is just second to none. It's beautiful. Yeah. But it's interesting that you said that you know you came from Petrofix Elite OBR, and when you won the Masters, you did it literally within what a month of PE coming out. So a lot of people probably weren't prepared for that. And yeah, yeah. the play experience with PE, you know, I'm not trying to shame anyone who plays OBR Petrofix Elite, but it's not the greatest experience. So you came no. in with a competitive mindset, but you had a realistic expectation that you probably weren't going to go 5-0, and 6-0 and in a tournament, but you've proven that it is successful. And I think that's one challenge that I've seen Nighthawk players thinking about is that they've been so quick to ditch Nighthawk and go to Legion of Grief because they feel that's just superior competitively, but you've proved us all wrong. You've proved yeah. this wrong that by going purely Nighthaunt, and that's one of the reasons why I want to chat to you today was to say, you know, if, if you are a pure Nighthaunt player, here are some ways that you can really tap into the Allegiance abilities and play well in the current meta. Um, yeah. And I'm really excited to talk to you about why you chose the list that you chose and, you know, talk through some of that logic and that methodology because I know some Nighthaunt players are probably struggling right now or they're being too tempted to Legion of Grief. Yeah, and look, I think one of the big reasons I didn't um, take Legion of Grief was the fact that I already play Legions and Nagash. Um, so for me to play Legion of Grief was like I'd rather play Nighthaunt as opposed to Legion of Grief. And I know the Nighthaunt book has a lot better abilities, spells, etc., than what Legion of Grief does in my personal opinion. But um, others will probably disagree, but that's how I see it. No, that, that's good. And you know what? If I was a Legion of Nagash player, it might just be easy to go the Legion of Grief build because it's something I'm familiar with. But if yeah. I'm a, a Nighthawk player, um, yeah, you know what? Look, listen, guys, absolutely. Um, the the strengths in this book, and again, Deke's kind of, you know, calling out here that he believes that the movement shenanigans, and I, I agree with him, the movement, the movement abilities in Nighthawk and the other things that come with them, make them a very strong force in the current meta. And again, you've proved this right, coming 18th yeah. out of 200 odd players at in a tournament. So um, it's a bit hard to kind of skip the the hard armies when you are in a, an event like that. So um, 
any other like from a strengths point of view so you know we, we talked about you know there are they're a good army to play against they're wonderful to paint what are the high level like overview strengths of this particular book and then we'll get into the rules yeah okay so look the the biggest strengths of the book um are probably strengths that they they've always had but it, when it first came out it wasn't such a big strength um so armies like more and more armies that are released um have more and more rend um like 50 percent of armies or 50 percent of units in armies these days have rend um or, or even more than that um whereas back when the book was released i feel like rend wasn't such a big issue um so ignoring that rend which a lot of other opponents armies um appointed with having that rend on their unit. So, you know, they're, they're pointed a lot higher because they've got rend and being able to ignore that makes a huge difference. Uh, the other fact is just numbers um, is another strength that Nighthaunt have. Um, as Deke said as well, movement. So when you, you, you set up, you can put half your units in the underworlds and bring them up anywhere on the board nine inches away is, is really good. Like even if um, you're not going to use it, um, to full advantage, even just having a unit off the board makes your opponent set up their army completely different to how they normally would, um, especially yeah. if you're fighting against alpha strike armies. Um, you know, you can spread out what you put out on the board to spread their army and then leave stuff off. So it means that they can't really alpha strike you like they normally would. Um, and when Nighthorn when, when very first come out, we probably had a lot more horde armies out there. You know, the Grots were running around. You had Skaven running around. There's a whole bunch of horde armies. We've kind yeah. of almost gone the other way, and uh, there's a lot of elite armies now. You know, even exactly, yeah. Fire Slayers have been pulled back, and there's less of them on the table. You've got your big Stonehorns. You've got, you know, your Iron Jaws. You've got, you know, so many elite armies that by just you, you can tie them up. You can, you know, really own the board with just bodies and the movement shenanigans. Yeah, yeah, and and just the the uh, the other strengths um like the mortal wound output um mortal wounds are just they're just so good you know like even like people talk about being able to do damage and and attacks and everything else but normally your opponent still has a save against mm -hmm. all of that mortal wounds there's not a lot of stuff in the in the um in the meta at this stage it had like has that mortal wound save and if it does it's normally only certain units in an army. So, um, for example, and, my spirit, and it's host, I'll try. And, and it's mostly coming from magic, right? A lot of yeah, yeah. are coming from magic. Exactly. So if if you know your opponent has something that um, ignores mortal wounds, well, then you keep your, your mortal wound dealers away from those and you clog them up with chain 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 rasps or, you know, stuff that's that doesn't care about mortal wounds. But... Um, so, yeah, the, the mortal wound output of the army is another great thing and probably the biggest thing about the army, which um, is the, probably the main reason I took Nighthaunt over Legion of Grief, is their 9-inch charge, um, their 10-inch charge, sorry. If you roll a 10 on your, your charge roll, you get to fight before the combat phase. So with armies like, um, like the new... Slaves to Darkness, um, your your OBR armies, 
that get to at the start of the combat phase they get to activate shield wall or they get to reroll saves in the combat phase it's worded combat phase so you you're bypassing all those extra saves that they those armies would get um which was uh, like going into cancon i was happy to face an obr army because i knew i personally felt that i could beat obr with with night haunt just for the reason that Going up against Petrifex Elite, they all get the extra bonus rend, um, which doesn't bother Night Haunt, and the fact that they're really susceptible to mortal wounds, um, and I yeah. knew that I could deal with that. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely definitely a, it's got a lot of strengths. Though, I mean, that's for sure. Um, but you got to know how to use it. Yeah, it, it's certainly, again, you know, not an army that you're just going to pick up and kind of push up the board. And, look, you could do that, right? Because of the high movement and because you you ignore Rend, you could literally deploy everything on the table and push it forward, and you'd probably do okay. But the fact that you're able to put things in the underworld, things, you know, you're able to pick things up and teleport them around the board with a command ability, um, there's a whole bunch of shenanigans around. It is hard, and you can stretch your opponent quite interesting. So, um, yeah. That's what I've always found with Nighthorn is that, you know, just because the battle might be happening in one part of the table doesn't necessarily be that's where it's always going to happen. And um, uh, some, some questions in the chat as well. Where are you finding most of the mortal wounds are coming from? Is there a particular unit in mind that uh, you're finding does mortal wounds than others? Um, well, I'll probably half my army does mortal wounds. So I've got a Mongol um, who does mortal wounds. Um Black Coach does mortal wounds. I've got a unit of nine spirit hosts, which yeah. they can do a buttload of mortal wounds if you roll well. Um, what else have I got? Like even the characters, most of them put out mortal wounds. Um, so yeah, there's there's definitely plenty of access. Look, at it, it's not an army that pumps out a heap of damage, you, and you got to realize that. So you got to play, you got to play smart, and you got to play around around that, and um, yeah, it worked that to your advantage sort of thing, yeah. It's a real grind. You are absolutely going to grind at your opponent and with the movement, with the, you know, ignoring Ren, the deathless save, bringing bodies back, uh, you have a really great ability to grind at your opponent and just, you know, accept the damage and deal out as much, um, which is fascinating. And obviously yeah. ignore the fact that, you know, people are doing more, um, any Rend uh, just absolutely shrugs it off. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So what, what I might do at this particular point is I've brought up the rules. Uh, people who are watching us on a podcast, uh, feel free to open up your battle tome now and follow along. But uh, what I've done here is I've brought up the rules that I've saved um, as a document. And I'd love, uh, Matt, your perception of the rules and what it means as a experienced Nighthawk player. Because I could read these rules and go, oh, okay, cool. You know, Aura of Dread. You know, I subtract one to the bravery characteristics of enemy units when they're within six inches of a Nighthawk unit. Okay, I, intellectually, I understand what that is. But yep. for you as an experienced player, how does that affect your list building? How does it expect your affect your in-game decisions? You know, what do these rules mean? So I'll, we will start off with Aura of Dread. What does that subtract one to bravery characteristics with units within six inches of a Nighthawk unit? Um, so personally, I haven't built my list around bravery. Um, it's something that even... So being a Legions and a Gash player, um, always, always playing a lot of Legion of Blood um, and inherently they have this exact same rule. So it's more, it's more the fact of just getting that extra one, 
model to run in the in the battle shock phase, um, which can work well with Lady Olander because she has an ability that if uh, a battle shock is failed, an extra model um, runs. I think it is. I can't remember off the top of my head now. Um, but so you can you can get a couple extra models to run, which doesn't sound huge. But it's that chipping away, and if you're fighting against, say, you know, um, uh, uh, what what are the pigs? Um, gore grunters, a gore, a gore grunter, yeah, a gore yeah grunter. like gore grunters that are bravery eight or something ridiculous. If they lose one model um, or even like two models, and would normally be bravery six sort of thing, you get them down to a five. So then that that roll of a six, they're losing another whole gore grunter stuff like that. Like it's. It's not huge, and a lot of people, a lot of players forget about it. Um, but it's just something because I've always played with that uh, in mind with Legion of Blood. It's something I always remember. Um, but personally, as I said, yeah, I haven't always built my list around it. Um, but having Lady Olander in my list, she has a scream that goes against bravery um, and and stuff like that. So yeah, it does work, but it's one of those. It's just another thing that adds to the army. That it's not huge, but it chips away at your opponent, and it's just something that they always got to keep in mind. And as the chats rightfully pointed out as well, you know, bravery at this point in time is probably not the biggest strength of a of a strategy. Um, no. I certainly, I would certainly not build like a what they call a bravery bomb. You know, I can you can build a minus two or a minus three. Uh, bravery quite easily with this whether you take uh, an endless spell that causes a minus one uh, when we get to some of your list there's going to be other units that are going to cause a minus one but i wouldn't be building a strategy around you know with minus three i'm going to make everyone run but yeah. it, it, it could be a nice way to force your opponent to burn a command point because they don't want that gore grunter that alapex that you know that that multi, you know that big multi-wound unit to run so you might yes. force their hand um yep. or could be a nice little thing you know there are some shooting attacks based on bravery such as the tomb banshee right so it could be the difference as well so yes. but i would I, I probably wouldn't build a strategy around it i think no don't uh, build a strategy around it just just use it as another another way of chipping away wounds or models um which is how you win with night haunt yeah, especially as we've got currently elite, a lot of elite armies out there at the moment. So if you can get that that, that one extra one to run, that is worth two, three, four wounds. Yeah, um, exactly. So yep. Something, something to consider. The next rule we've got is Deathless Spirit. So roll a dice each time you allocate a wound or a mortal wound to a friendly Night Haunt model. That's wholly within 12 of your general or within six of a hero. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, so 12 of no, 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 your general. 12. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. No, I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I jumped. jumped <laughs> um, yeah, so if you uh, model uh, wholly within 12 of your general or a friendly Night Haunt hero on a six plus, uh, that's a wound or a mortal. The mortal wound is negated. So Yes, yeah. So the biggest thing with this is... Um, I found this hard when I first played Night Haunt. Um, coming from death uh, was always just you had to have one model within six inches of a hero, and that whole unit gained the tw you know the the six plus death save. Um, so this this was one of the hardest learning curves I found with the army. Um, but in saying that, a, a few of my other abilities that happen from my heroes, you've got to be wholly within 12 of that hero anyway. So I'm, uh, the, the, the more games you play, you, you, 
you almost always have your unit wholly within 12 a hero as much as possible um, just so you can obviously have that deathless spirits but then have the other abilities as well um, like your plus plus one to wound from your um, your, your, your um, other model uh, what's it called sorry the your guardian of souls um, and then yeah. you got your spirit torment which gives you plus uh, reroll ones to hit if you're wholly within 12 like it, it just stuff like that so this sort of adds to that anyway um, so the more games that you play the more that you'll you'll remember that wholly within 12 when you're moving your models around the board and and as you said earlier with the great like the movement of your models um, you can always run that hero up behind and and get them right up where they need to be to have that bubble to help you out anyway. So staying within 12 inches is going to be critical. And yeah. I guess when you're list building as well, making sure that you have a lot of small wound heroes um, because a, a lot of armies or not a lot, but there are a, a whole bunch of armies that might just put all of their points on one, two or three, you know, very competitive and very large costed uh, heroes but for yourself, if you only put, you know, get a Lady Alinda or get like a, um, you know, one or two big characters, you're going to lose out that benefit because it's going to be hard to keep your whole army within 12 inches. So thinking yeah. about ways to have little heroes as much as big heroes will be important when you build this build. Yeah, and the problem with list building with Nighthaunt is something I found, and I think everyone that's tried to build a list with Nighthaunt has found, you just run out of hero slots and you run out of points for your army. Like... All their all their model like all their heroes are, are pointed sort of between one twenty like they're decent heroes one twenty to one eighty sort of point range, and you just run out of points then, and they're just so expensive, but they're so good like they spirit, the spirit torment like that that reroll ones to hit the guardian of souls that plus one to wound, it's a great ability, but to then run multiples of those heroes you run out of points too quick and obviously hero slots um so it's really it, this is probably one of the hardest armies with balancing what heroes you do actually take and how many points you spend on them um and probably what helped me as such building a list was uh the december was it faq or whatever it was that updated points um yeah. and they dropped the points quite significantly for lady Ollander and Kurdos and and those sorts of heroes which kind of helped um build build a list with them in it yeah great so we're hearing folks that you know you you don't want to spend too many points in heroes you don't want to go cheap on your heroes there is a balance and we'll get to some of Matt's list to kind of illustrate how he's done that successfully but by no means are these lists the only list you can play so uh yeah. just merely examples of putting the theory into practice uh, anything else you want to add to that one? Nah, man, it's pretty right. self-explanatory. Let's get to the one that I most love, which is going to be the uh, from so from the underworlds they come. They couldn't pick an easier sentence to say. <laughs> basically, <laughs> nah. basically, so what happens is instead of setting up a, a night haunt unit on the battlefield, you can place it to one side and say this in the underworld. So essentially, it's re it's in reserve. Um, now, what you have to do is you can set up one unit for Underworld for every unit that's on the battlefield. So it's a one-for-one. Yep. One. Put down something on the table, reserve, table, reserve. You know, it doesn't have to be in that particular order, but, yep. you know, you've got to make sure you've got something on the table first. At the end of your movement phase, you can set up any of these units more than nine inches from an enemy model. It counts as their move for the turn. Um, 
and any units that are not set up on the battlefield before the start of the fourth battle round uh, are slain. So we've yeah. got to put them on the table in the first three rounds. So it's um, a bit like Stormcast with their their um their way of setting up. Pretty much exact same. So what does that mean? Let's imagine that I'm not a Stormcast player. Let's say that you know, this is this is my first experience as a, a deep striking, you know, every army I've played in the past just is to put on the table and I run forward. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, look, I think um, this is probably one of the best allegiance abilities that Nighthaunt has. Um, yeah. The fact that, as I was saying earlier, the fact that you can put stuff in reserve um, or off the board, sorry, and set up, makes your opponent really set up their army so much differently to what they normally would. Um, they hold units back to protect their heroes, you know, all sorts of things. And then if they don't, you just drop down and you you, you take that charge and you, you try and take off those important heroes in the first couple of turns, which can really change the, the sway of the battle. Um the, the biggest thing with this, um, and one of the reasons I slightly changed my list from CanCon to what I would run now, was at CanCon I, my list was nine drops, um, which meant I could only put four four units in the Underworlds, which is hard because I like to have a hero or two in the Underworlds as well to bring on next to that unit that I bring up. So they've got that re-roll on their, um, you spend a command ability for the re-roll charge. Um, and so it's always important. Then I was running out of units to put in the Underworlds. Um, so now I've changed to have, I'm a 10 drop list. So I get that extra, just that extra one unit to put in the Underworlds, which makes a huge difference. Like even if it's just a unit of 10, chain rasps that you leave off till turn three that can drop down onto an objective or you know just just to score points it it, it just yeah it, it's such a great ability um look i always nearly every unless you play total commitment um every game i'm setting up units off the board um just for those main reasons um and it's always different like i don't set the same units up every game off the board um, it depends on what opponent I've got, what army they're playing. Um, for example, as I was just said before, if if I know my opponent's got um, some really tough armor heroes that don't have mortal wound save, I might set up my Mongol off the board um, and and hopefully get the first turn charge with him onto one of their really important heroes um, and kill it. And if my Mongol dies, it doesn't really matter. Like. None of my, my none of my units in my army. I really care too much if they die. Um, they're not pivotal pivotal to my army winning, um, but they all work. You know, they all work together in the end to win. But yeah, there's nothing in my army that, um, say for example, in my legions of Nagash army, I had my big vampire lord on dragon. That was my general. He was ethereal amulet. Blah blah blah. If he died. I pretty much was going to lose the game, whereas this yeah. army, I can lose any one of my heroes, and I'm still a good chance to win. There's a um, lot of throwaway. There's a lot of throwaway units in Nighthawk where you just send there is. Wave, like literally waves of attacks. And I love that you called out that when you deep strike or you bring out a unit from the underworlds, you're also bringing a hero with it because uh, you know if you're setting up a unit outside of nine inches from your opponent, that's a seventy-five percent chance of failing that charge. 
So if there are ways for you to either re-roll or, or, or get a, a plus one or a plus two to that charge, you're almost going to guarantee or you're going to make your life a lot easier in securing that charge. But you know yeah. what? And even if you don't, at least you've blocked up the board and with the ethereal, you can kind of take the hit. So um, it doesn't, it's not always a bad thing, but increasing your chances um, tick. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think that's about everything for that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to be honest with you, when uh, when Nighthorn very first come out, we started seeing big blocks of, like, Grimgast Reapers. You know, you, you would really see big blocks of 30 or 20 or 30. You know, now we're starting to see lists and, you know, the most competitive lists are using a lot of, like, small units to increase those drops, but also to increase the ability to strike first and, you know, to increase how many things come from the Underworlds. And, again, we'll get to Matt's list very shortly, but... Um, again, like the way that this this army has evolved with the meta um, has been fascinating. Yeah, we've got the feed of feed on terror. So each time a uh, an enemy unit fails a battle shock test, pick one friendly night haunt hero within six inches of that enemy hero. They heal one wound that's been allocated to them. Yeah, I always forget about this rule. Um, it, it look, it's actually a really good rule um, if played right. Because especially heroes like Lady Olander and Kurdos who have got seven, eight wounds, um, they don't have a lot of wounds. Um, no. But having that ethereal means that a lot of the time, if you keep them in the right spots, they're not going to die from one round of combat. So to have have that ability to just heal that one wound, like Lady Olander has her own other ability that she can heal D6 wounds. Um it just keeps them alive just for that extra turn. Look, they're probably going to die the next turn anyway, but it, it, as I said, it's one of those abilities. Feed on Terror is something I always forget about in my games anyway, but, um, yeah, it can it can help, but it's not a huge, huge help. It's something to consider, but, yes, absolutely. You've got to fail the battle shock test, and right now we're probably yeah. seeing a lot of people using those command points and generating command points to inspire presence. But, again, exactly. we, yeah. we don't know what changes are coming in the new General's Handbook. We don't know if, if people have as many command points. We don't know what the scenarios will look like. But something to keep in mind, especially because you don't have those big 10 wound and above heroes. Your heroes are quite squishy, so any, hero, any wound that you can heal uh, will be a bonus to keeping them alive. Yeah. Yeah, and as that guy's just said in the comments, um, they the Grimgast Reapers, they went up 20 points, um, which I thought was really stupid for night, for a Nighthaunt unit to go up because in Nighthaunt I never found Grimgast Reapers to be overpowered. It was people playing them in Legions and Nagash, which made them so so good. Like they were, re they were getting that pile-in attack that, twice. and They were and crazy I, good. They were yeah, crazy. honestly, think, they held Van Hal's dance macabre, and it's one of the only units in the game that I think should have had a double points, like two different points costings, one for Night Haunt and one for Legions and Nagash, because they play so differently. Look, in fairness, in my uh, my free guild general on Griffin got a points whack because uh, people were running it with the Sword of Judgment, but now in Cities of Sigma, it can't take the Sword of Judgment because I'm realm blocked to Gairan or by Akshi. So yeah. I feel the exact same pain. It's like, uh, the points now don't justify the means. Who knows yeah. what's going to come in the future? Maybe they will get a little little uh, points points adjustment when it comes to the Nighthorn Battalion. And, and that's why we're not talking about points as well. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, we're just talking about concepts and ideas. 
because yep. points will change, battalions oh, will yeah. change, things will come. Um, yes, and you know what? We saw that as well with the terror guys. Now there's two different profiles: flesh eater courts and legion. So who knows? Who knows? I don't. Yep. Black coach has got two different ones. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got two whole different models. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that. Leagues it again, please. <laughs> uh, we've got the Wave of Terror. So this is another one of those sexy, sexy, sexy rules. So Wave of Terror, uh, if you make an unmodified charge roll of a 10 plus uh, for a friendly Nighthawk unit, it can fight immediately after you complete the charge move. This does not stop the unit from being picked to fight in the combat uh, phase of that turn. Now, that's so this, this by far is probably one of the best abilities in the whole game, like it, like over all the books, because being, as I said earlier, a lot of armies activate at the start of the combat phase. Like even if you're playing against Ideneth Deepkin and they're turn three, you know, they all get to fight first. This this beats that. OBR, they get to re-roll their save rolls, but they got to activate it in the combat phase. This beats that. So, and... and and the fact that you're getting to pile in and attack twice, it makes these, it makes your night haunt units that don't pump out a lot of damage. It brings them up closer to a normal unit that can put out damage. Um, so as I was saying before, they're an army that chips away at your opponent. So if you you're constantly chipping away and then you get a couple of ten inch charges, you, you you're actually pushing like you you going through your opponent's army and they're more than what you should be um, and more than what your army is point-costed to do. Um, so this, the wave, on, wave of terror I find is just great. Like, and and that, that's another reason I take quite, like I'm a 10-drop list. That's another reason I take so many drops because normally the way I play my army, that's, that's up to 10 charges I've got every charge phase and you're rolling a 10 plus, there's, almost you're almost guaranteed to get one or two like 10 plus charges and the fact that i i try and play my army with as many command points as possible and save them i only use command points for the charge phase um so a lot of charge phases i could have three or four command points up my sleeve and if i've only got a three inch charge and i roll a five or a six i'll re-roll it nearly every time to try and get that 10 plus charge just because it makes such a difference to the to what that unit can put out so the wave of terror like it's as i said it's probably one of the best abilities in the game um being able to just bypass so many abilities that are that are getting around now in the meta yeah, and, and where I've seen this work really well is, you know, you tap into, say, from the from the Underworlds, they come, they drop out yep. outside of nine, they roll that 10-inch charge, you then go in, attack first, and then get to attack again. Um, hopefully you've got a hero around that's going to buff up the, whether it's going to be an additional attack or, you know, make it easier to hit. Uh, and they can really dish out a whole bunch of damage. So uh, really good rule. Uh, it does say unmodified charge roll, so correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, if I had chronomatic cogs, that's not going to allow me to make that no. down to an eight. No. The only way you can get it to a nine plus is with the uh, battalion, and that's with uh, spirit host, uh, not spirit host, hex rays, um, and it goes to a nine plus. So basically what that means is the nine plus means, or the 10 plus means 10, 11, 12, not necessarily, because normally when we see like a plus behind yeah, yeah, number, yeah, yeah, that yeah. means you can bring it down. Just means 10, 11, 12. Correct, correct. Yeah. 
the last thing you're going to get from this, guys, and you don't get any sub-allegiances, so you're not going to get, like, you know, different parts of the ghost world. Um, unfortunately, hopefully that's something that comes in the future. Um, there were some new uh, battalions that came in a white dwarf, which were, were which were quite interesting, but they're, but this is kind of what you get. The last yep. thing is going to be the command ability you get. So, oh, actually, no, it's the second last thing. You've got the slain, returning slain models. Yes. You have the command ability that uh, you can use a command ability to study your movement phase. If you do so, pick a friendly night haunt unit that's on the battlefield. Remove this unit from the battlefield and set it up wholly within 12 of your general and more than nine from an enemy. It counts as their movement. Now, this this has been an interesting tactic against me as well because yep. you know, I'm, running, I'm running up the board. I'm trying to clean this objective. And then all of a sudden completely kind of pops away and goes into a corner and kind of goes for a, a late objective steal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you can build lists around this ability. Um, my list wasn't built around this ability, but um, it can be great. It like it, it doubles really well with from the underworlds they come. Um, so if you leave your general on your side of the board, for example, um, and you have him pretty well protected with a unit or two um, and you're, bringing up your other units in the underworlds in the back half of your opponent's um, board, take an objective or whatever you need to do or you kill one of their units and then your unit is sitting over there all on its own, you know, like 20 inches away from anything else. You just pop this command ability, brings that unit back to your general um, and then it can become useful again um, as opposed to having a unit stuck out in the middle of nowhere for a turn or two trying to get be relevant in the game. Um, it can become really quite handy. Um, but as at it, as I said earlier, I'm not, it's not something I built my list around, um, but there is definitely potential builds that, um, that go well with the, the Harrow. Um, uh, what is he? The general, the dreadblade dread arrow. arrow. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember playing at a tournament not long ago before we all shut down, and um, I had my big block of Phoenix guard that were kind of marching up the board, and they were kind of like acting as a screen to my Hallow Heart army at the time. And this this Nighthawk general had literally picked up a unit of I can't remember chain rasp. It was just something. It was something small, you know, not very many points. But then what it was able to do is then tag me at the back of my unit. So it essentially stopped my Phoenix Guard moving up the board. And that's a 500-point unit, essentially. So yeah. all of a sudden, you know, while the other Night Haunt was kind of coming at me from the front, these couple of units, these couple of models were pinning just just one, just enough to keep yeah. me in combat. It met me in you know, my pile-ins and everything kind of was messed up. Um even just the way I kind of remove models from Battleshock. So uh, it is a nice little uh, particular rule if you yeah. want to build around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can definitely build around it. But as I said, if you don't, even if you don't build around it, it still can be quite useful. It's a nice threat. Yeah. Finally, you've got returning slain models. So the slain models you return to the unit can only be set up within three inches of an enemy unit. Uh, if one or more models of the unit has returned already within three inches of an enemy yeah. So if you're in combat with a unit, with a certain particular unit, and you're bringing back your dead models, you can't chain them out to be in combat with another unit. So, th so there are ways to bring back your your ghosty boys. Yes. Um, but what it's saying is, you know, there are rules depending on if you're in combat or if you're not in combat and how you're able to bring back models. Because there has been times where in the old editions you're able to bring back models and, like, chain them into combat and then some shenanigans there, but... Yeah, yeah. Not, 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 with, not like that anymore. No, nah, not with Night Haunt. 
Fair enough. Do you want to get into a list? Sure. Yep. All right. All Go right. For it. So we've got two lists you've got for me. I'm going to zoom out here. This is a bit crazy. Uh, the first one you've got for me is your CanCon list. So talk to me about your CanCon list. Talk to me about why you took this particular build, and then we'll go into the the, the different um, elements. So, uh, again, for the people who are listening to the podcast and uh, can't see the visual, what we've got here is a Legion's Nighthaunt. You're coming in with the Guardian of Souls with the Nightmare Lantern, which has the lore of the Underworld's uh, Shade Mist. You've got Kurdos, uh, the Craven King. We've got Lady Alinda, who's walking around with Soul Cage. Spirit of Torment, which is your general. The trait of Ruler of the Spirit Host and the artifact of Pend Pendant of the Fell Wind. We'll do the characters first. Then we'll yep. go to the units. Yep. Take me from the top. Take me from, uh, let's talk with the general. Why is a Spirit of Torment of all of the things you can take? Why is a Spirit of Torment in general? What, what's, what's the deal with, with the uh, Ruler of the Spirit Host and the Pendant of the Fell Wind? Yep. So uh, the reason I went Spirit Torment as my general is he always always play him as a support hero that can um, that always hangs back behind a unit. So he's always pretty well protected. Um, having him as your general means then it frees up my other like Kurdos and Lady Olander, Guardian of Souls to do other stuff. Um, the reason I took Spirit Torment as general over Lady Olander, for example, is I like the ruler of the spirit host better than her ability. Um, so her command ability, she brings back one model for every slain, uh, one model in every unit that has a slain model in um, in range of her. Um, so it can be good if you've got a whole heap of multiple units in range of her, but I find that I don't tend to have that anyway. Um, ruler, there is, ruler of the Spirit Hosts is really good when you're playing multiple numbers of actual Spirit Hosts. Um, the way the, the ability works is you pick a unit um, that's within nine of the general, so it doesn't have to be wholly within, and you return D3 slain models. So playing Spirit Hosts, they're three wounds each, um, you can bring back nine wounds worth of spirit host, whereas uh, Lady Olander, she would only bring back one, which is three wounds. Um, so that's, that's, that's an interesting delineation you got there, right? So it's not we're, we're not bringing back wounds, we're bringing back models. Models, so all, yes. the, so all of a sudden, those – and, you know, when I play Legions of Nagash – when I'm running with spirit hosts, they are really hard to bring back from the gravesite. I need a five or yeah. a six to bring them back. While yep. with you, it's like cool. I can bring back up to nine wounds, which is massive. Yeah, and you you um you combine that with your black coach. It has the exact same ability. Um, it brings back D three slain models as well. Um, so you can potentially bring back six spirit hosts um, per turn. Um, also, the spirit torment has an ability at the end of the combat phase, uh, at the start of the battle shock phase. Um, he can pick a unit within range of him and he heals D3 um, wounds or slain models to that unit as well. So potentially he could bring back an extra um, spirit host in the battle shock phase. But more importantly, he can actually heal heroes with that ability as well. So he can heal himself or other heroes in range of him up to D3 wounds for every five models that you've slain on the board. Um, so just the the way he works is just fantastic and then the 
his artifact dependent of the fell wind. So at the start of the movement phase, every model that's within, I think it's 12, I'll just double check. Yep, wholly within, they've got to be wholly within 12. So this comes back to earlier where I was saying the death save, you, you've got to be wholly within 12 um, and his ability to reroll ones to hit, got to be wholly within. So the, it's not too hard to keep the unit wholly within. So every unit that's wholly within 12 of him at the start of the movement phase gets plus three inches to their move. So it makes Spirit Host go from a, a six-inch move to a nine-inch, um, makes your Black Coach 18-inch move or whatever it is. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's already quite fast. Yeah, so it's that plus three inches is awesome. Um, and once again, taking an unnamed um, general in Nighthaunt just is so good because you get the you get access to these these abilities um, that you normally wouldn't. So um, <clears throat> yeah, just those two abilities plus what he can do with healing um, and and just giving. So I so the way I play normally is I run him with my spirit hosts. So the spirit hosts are the the shield for him, um, and then he gives them the reroll ones to hit automatically. So spirit hosts, you know what they do with their sixes of mortals. If you're rerolling ones to hit, for every, I've got nine models in the unit, so you, you on average you're getting another at least another mortal wound output from them um, each turn. So yeah, they they. They work well with him, but that's the main reason I take him as my general. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a great investment for 120 points. And yeah, uh, and and you know, to be honest, a lot of opponents, if they saw this particular army, they're likely to target Alindar. They're going to target Kurdos. You know, they're probably going to go for other things. Uh, maybe not necessarily that 120 point Spirit Host or Spirit Torment. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but you've got the bodies to protect it. You're getting a lookout, sir. You've got a little so, bit of yeah. magic a little bit of magic protection. You've got your six up uh, deathless safe essentially after this. So uh, that 120 point general can be, uh, I wouldn't say tanky, but certainly hard to kill. Hard to kill. Yeah. And look, if, even if you've set him up anywhere near the Mongol as well, you know, he can be neg one to hit in, in combat as well. So he, um, <clears throat> he can be hard to kill, but once again, as I said earlier, if, if he was to die in one of my games, it's still not the end of the world. I can still, I feel I can still win with the list. Uh, so we'll go to the top of the list. So you've got your Guardian of Souls with the Nightmare Lantern uh, that's, that's walking around with Shade Mist. So uh, what is Shade Mist? Like why did you choose Shade Mist and why the Guardian of Souls with the Nightmare Lantern? Because certainly one of the questions that the chat's asked is why no Knight of Shrouds? And, you know, that's almost like uh, somewhere that you might interchange that particular model. So what does... The guardian of soul brings to the table and then why haven't you chosen a knight of shrouds i guess the second part to that question okay so um the guardian of souls he's super good he gives the plus plus one to wound um in his 18 i think it's 18 inch bubble for him um Sorry, I'm not I'm not up to the rules because I haven't played for how, ages. How, how, how dare you in, in COVID world not remember every single uh, rules interaction of a battle tome? How dare you? Let's let's assume that what you said is true and if, if we accidentally get one of the rules nah, wrong. It is 12. It All is right, 12. 12. I'm pretty right. sure everything's 12. Um, yeah, so he gives the plus one to wound wholly within 12, which is not huge, but if you've got a unit of 40 chain rasts that are all within 12, um, you know, they're wounding on threes instead of fours. It makes a huge difference. Um, his spell, his 
War Scroll spells really good. It can bring back D6 slain models, uh, D6 wounds to a slain right. unit, sort of. Yeah, so it can be D6 models for a chain rest unit, or you could potentially get two spirit hosts back if you rolled a six, I guess. So, um, really good. Um, his Shade Mist is a really good spell, and I use it more often than his um, War Scroll spell, and that is you sub you'd pick uh, a friendly Nighthaunt unit wholly within 12 of the caster. You subtract one from wound rolls for attacks that target that unit until the start of your next hero phase. So you can potentially... I normally cast it... Um, I'll cast it on my Black Coach, for example, run him up the board as an alpha strike if I need to, Um He's then ignoring Rend and he's neg one to wound, which can be quite good. Um, and another good combo is to cast it on your Mongol and run him in to combat. He's neg one to hit, neg one to wound. Um, makes it really hard to kill him. Um, so, yeah, Shade Mist, I find, is a really good spell. Um, and put it if, if I need to keep my general alive from shooting, make him neg one to wound as well is really good. Um, so yeah, that's that's the Guardian of Souls. Uh, yeah, he's pretty good. And what about um, so uh, we had a question from the chat around the Knight of not the Knight of Shrouds. Um, is there any particular reason why you didn't put the Knight of Shrouds in this list? Um, and not to say that it's a bad model, but you know what? Um, I, I'm sure you'd like every hero in the army. Um, two <laughs> two reasons. I don't have one painted. <laughs> okay, that's, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good reason. Well, this, this whole army was pretty much painted. All I had to paint was 20 chain rests to finish it, I think, or 10 chain rests. Um, and personally, I find him be, he's, can be quite lackluster um, in combat for what I like. Um, he has a good command ability, but once again, it only works in the uh, combat phase, so you're not getting it from the, the 10 plus charge. Um, and also it's a command point that I don't want to spend. Um, so they're, they're probably the two main reasons I didn't take, all three main reasons I didn't take uh, Knight of Shrouds. But, but there's absolutely a reason you could bring in. So, again, it's not... Again, oh, you can. I'm yeah, and you, not saying the Knight of Shroud is hot garbage and, and don't put it on the table. But, no, no, no. Uh, you, you take it, you build your list around it. So... As I said earlier, my list is all about chipping away with wounds. Um, if you want to take a list of, say, 30 Grimgast Reapers and you're giving them one extra attack in the combat phase, um, that's huge. But <clears throat> when you've only got units of, say, 10 Chain Rasps or, or even 9 Spirit Hosts, for example, getting an extra one attack per Spirit Host isn't going to change the world. Um for for spending a, a command point um so yeah they're, they're the main reasons i didn't take a knight of shrouds over a guardian of souls oh, thanks for asking answering the hard-hitting questions <laughs> you've got you've got kurdos and you've got lady alinda so why two named characters over some other more generic characters and what are the, both of these bringing to the table um first off i love the models um and they're, they're my painted up ones come up really nice and I wanted to get them on the table and showcase them. Um, but furthermore, um, Kurdos Valencian, for example, he is a boss. Like if you can get the 10 plus charge with him 
and get him into combat. He does so much damage. Um, so for like his his scepter, he's got five attacks, threes and threes. He can be threes and twos, or he can be threes reeling ones if you've got the other heroes nearby. He's neg two rend. So for example, if you're playing against your um, OBR and they're a three up save, if you hit them with the ten plus charge, they're only a five up save and they're not getting <laughs> they're not getting the re-roll saves. Um, and then they're doing D3 damage. If you roll a six to wound, it's D6 damage. Um, plus his spectral claws, <coughs> uh, they put out mortal wounds as well. They're six attacks, so, you know, you might get one mortal wound. It's not great, but um, I just think he is a really cool model. And the other reason I take him too is on that five up, he steals a command point. And look, yes. playing against armies um, that really rely heavily on that one command point each turn can really change the flow of the battle. Like it, it's huge. Um, in saying that, I played six, six full games. I think six, yeah, all five round games almost at CanCon, and I think I got it off once <laughs> out of every every game. That's right. That's rather unlucky. You probably should yeah. have got a few more of those. But, oh, yeah. but you know, that's a really good point, right? Like a lot of armies are kind of they probably only have one command point two at most i mean armies like gits are going to have command points out of the wazoo yeah for most armies it. especially like leading into a double turn you hold on to that one command point in case you lose the you lose a priority role and you've got that important you know inspiring presence but if you if you steal that from me good golly gosh if i lose that 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 uh that priority role without yeah. a command point to use for inspiring presence this could hurt and then Whatever. obviously the the minuses to bravery then really come into play. Yeah, and even armies like legions and the gash where they need that command point to bring back a whole dead unit, like it can that yeah. which could sway the battle. Like it's it's huge. And then obviously if you do steal it, it's giving you that extra command point to spend to try and get that wave of terror off that ten plus charge. You know, like it's just another way to to get that extra command point every turn. Um, which helps for the army. But, um, yeah, that, that's probably the main reasons um, I took him. I don't really try and use him to snipe your enemy's general, which he gets re-rolls to hit if he attacks the enemy general, but it can be handy. So then what about Alinda? So that was Kurdos, so that's yep. why Kurdos is coming to the table. Why why Alinda and uh, why Soul Cage? Um. The soul, I'll go to the soul cage first. I, it was more the fact that I could give her an, a spell. Um, casting value six, pick an enemy unit within 12, so not wholly within, <clears throat> until the start of your next hero phase, that unit cannot retreat. In addition, until the start of your next hero phase, that unit cannot fight in the combat phase and they all other enemy units that are eligible to fight have already done so. So it makes a unit fight last pretty much, <clears throat> which is good. With a, with your with an army like this that chips away, uh, it could be a big a big a big unit where you charge three units into it and you, you've got three chances to attack them first. Exam for example, um, so so okay, it can be good, but it's not something I use a hell of a lot. Um, and stopping on, the retreats, stopping the retreats is, is probably good as well. Probably. Retreating is probably a tactic people aren't tapping into on the tabletop, certainly something they don't think about. But basically you're going to stop people from running away from situations yeah. they don't want to be in. So Yeah, I, I um, use retreat all the time. 
in all my games. I don't think I've ever played a game recently where I haven't used a retreat move. It's huge. Um, <clears throat> Lady Hollander took her once again because she, she looks awesome. <laughs> um, but she has so many abilities. And to be honest with you, I hadn't played enough games before CanCon to get all those abilities ingrained in my head. Like I, I, I forgot half of her abilities <laughs> during the tournament. Um, so what, you, what, you're, what you're basically saying to the internet here is that if you would have remembered all of Alinda's rules, you probably would have won CanCon. Uh, that's what we've just heard, folks. <laughs> so uh, Nighthorn is a, a tournament-winning list. Uh, just, <laughs> uh, just put I, that out there from Matt Tyrrell. I'm not going to say that, but, yeah, I could have won the game I lost, put it that way. I only lost one oh. game. So. And, she and like, I'm looking at her war scroll right now, and despite only having seven wounds and, you know, a movement six, you know, one, two, you know, you've got the ethereal rule, fright, uh, frightful touch, you've got uh, grave sand of time, Lifting a veil, more type of grief, whale, uh, whale of the damned. Then she's got her uh, her war scroll magic spell. Then she's also got the command ability, the no rest for the wicked. So it's quite a robust uh, war scroll when you look at the different options she brings to the table. Oh yeah, like she can potentially put out a buttload of mortal wounds. Like if you are within six inches of an enemy hero and you do the grave sands of time, it's just d6 mortal wounds to that hero yeah it's only once per game but there's d6 so whatever you want to roll there uh lifting the veil it's just a unit within 12 inches you just roll a dice and on a two up how whatever the result is that's mortal wounds at your opponent um more target grief which i mentioned earlier add one to the number of models that flee from a unit that fail battle shock that's huge like if you play her right you can have quite a few units enemy units within 12 of her in the battle shock phase and each one of those that fail a battle shock and it's an extra model going plus if you've got that neg one that neg one bravery stacks on that sort of thing so you, you you're losing extra models that you probably normally wouldn't whale of the damned um that's a bubble so it's every unit within 12 um you roll your um bravery bravery check against each one of those units um and then that's D3 mortal wounds if you pass the bravery. So you add all those up. If you're, say, you're, for example, you're doing that all against one hero, um, you could potentially be doing 12, uh, 15 mortal wounds if you rolled extremely well, for example. Then plus the healing, right? So all of a sudden, like I'm yeah. looking at this war scroll, it's great utility value. She's going to be able to, with the uh, ignoring of Ran, she's got some, you know, a decent move. Um, she flies. There's just a lot of stuff. It's going to allow you to have like really a multi-use uh, tool that you can kind of move around the board and do what you need to do. Yeah, but you got to keep in mind you have to play her safe as well. Like you need her up the board. You need to run her up the board, but she needs to have a screen to keep her safe because seven wounds with a four-up ethereal doesn't. She, she doesn't last very long. No, 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 I would imagine that's true of all your heroes, whether it's Kurtos, yeah. whether it's just yeah. where it's Torment, you know, screens are going to be important, you know, making sure that, you know, you're getting those deathless saves, remembering that, uh, you know, the the, the, the heal, um, where, you, where you can possibly heal is going to be important. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's that's another ability, um, yeah, I forgot a, a fair bit about was the healing of her <clears throat> with that ability. I've kept forgetting um but her her magic is pretty good <clears throat> she can, can she can do two spells a, a turn 
Um, her war scroll spell is really good. <clears throat> you pick an enemy unit that's within 18 of the caster. Um, you subtract one from their hit rolls, but more importantly, um, your unit's a plus one to hit that unit, um, which really stacks well with uh, Chain Rast, for example, um, makes them hit on threes, and then if they're near the Spirit Torment, they're re-rolling ones to hit, um, and then you know, and then your Guardian of Souls getting them plus one to wound, so they're th- wounding on threes, and they get to re-roll ones to wound because you've got more than twenty in it, uh, more than ten in a unit. So a unit of forty um, chain rasps can do a lot of damage if she's around to help with that spell. Yeah, so, you're, not, you're not doing the you're not doing big waves of damage, but you are do, no, you just absolutely chipping away your opponent. You've got some consistent hit and wound rolls. Um, you've got the survivability in your troops, so you're just absolutely grinding your opponent down and using the the movement to your advantage to get into the most advantageous spots on the board. And yeah. if you're able to get that ten inch charge, happy days. You're going to fight first, and then you get to fight again in the in the in the combat phase so again it just kind of goes into the point of like grinding 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 and it's and it's good to mention that that grace stricken spell that doesn't say in the combat phase um so it can stack with their wave of terror charge they can get that plus one to to hit in the charge phase yeah so from a unit selection point of view, you've got 40 Chain Rass Horde that you've kind of started talking about already, but we'll go back to them. Got a unit of 10 Grimmies, the Grimgrass Reapers. We've got nine Spirit Hosts. We've got a Black Coach. We've got a Mongol. Uh, I always find that the, I always still find it interesting that the Black Coach isn't a hero. It kind of grinds my gears. Yeah. It's one of the, yeah. it's one of the big, it's actually one of the biggest things that grinds my gears is that this, the, the, the Black Coach is not a hero. But take it away. Um, it's super annoying too because you don't get so that annoying. death. You don't get the death save. Like it's yeah. so annoying. Yeah. That, that that's what grinds my gears because you because you your Black Coach you want to act solo. You you know you put yeah. it on a flank. You power it up and then you just run it at your opponent. But not having the deathless save is just silly but yeah. take me to the to the chain rasp and the grimgar so uh why a big block of 40 as opposed to you know a couple of small units of 10 or 20 um and what do they bring into the table that let's say more grimgar reapers wouldn't so the the unit of 40 uh you get the horde discount um with points um and the fact that a unit of 40 is really hard to get through um so because I was playing uh, my army at 10 points under 2,000, I did get the chance to roll on the, um, uh, what do you call triumph, it? The triumph, triumph table. Triumph table every game. Or not every game, but actually most games. And in two of my games, I got the re-roll failed saved roll. Um, yeah. In one game I had, I got charged, um, what was it, nine gore grunters and a unit of... Um, was it the gore hackers or no it might have been just the normal ones um on foot that were all buffed up like they'll re-roll and hits wounds and they like this unit of 40 chain rass i put the re-roll failed saves on them and i think at the end of that combat phase he got both piles in with the with what he had there i think i'd only lost 20 chain rass and it was like he's like he even said to me he goes oh he goes this this combo that i do wipes out any unit on the board normally and it's just that five up re-rolling ignoring rend um it was just 
brutal. Like he just couldn't yeah. get through it. Well, it's one of the reasons, funnily enough. So my Cities of Sigmar list used to be running around with free guild guard. And I just got crunched one too many times with, you know, Iron Jaws units just putting an absolute destruction in a unit. Yeah. And that's why I had to go Phoenix Guard, right? And my Phoenix Guard, it cost me like almost 500 points. I think it's 420 right now. Yeah. You're, you're, you're able to absorb the damage for almost half the price. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, maybe not half, but you're pretty close. Like 228, yeah, 280 yeah. points is great value for a screen to be able to manipulate the board, um, to have a big block, and you're going to be able to regenerate a whole bunch of wounds, as we've already talked about. And that 280 points is going to be really hard to take down it's almost like is it even worth focusing on exactly and, and and the 40 unit it means that they're holding an objective if they get charged it's really hard for someone to bump them off an objective um yeah, yeah. so it's the reason and look playing legions and a gash as we mentioned earlier i always had 40 skeletons i like to have those big units um to hold objectives with um so 40 chain rats uh, are where it's at um the 10 Grimgarth Reapers, um, I'm, I only took those because I had them painted. Um, I didn't have any more Chainrass painted. Uh, since I made this list, I've dumped the Grimgarth Reapers and I've taken uh, two. Stop, stop, don't, don't, don't ruin <laughs> Christmas. We're going to show another list. Um, <laughs> let's, maybe we'll just like really quickly uh, acknowledge, like what did they bring to the list? So when you got to play with them at CanCon, what did your 10 Grimmies do? Nothing. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, but, but we yeah, did honestly, talk about like if you had the Knight of Shrouds and you had you know a, a larger block of twenty or thirty, they probably yeah, look, combine to do more damage. Ten on their own aren't uh, look. They're hard to play. Um, they come into their own when you're fighting against horde units because five or more models they get to re-roll their hits, but. If you're going into a horde unit or a bigger unit, you're not going to kill that unit, and that unit will kill you. So not with, they're not only with ten. Not with ten. No, that, that's exactly right. They're a 10, 10 wound unit with a four up save. Um, that unit's just it just dies. So that's the reason I've dropped them. Um, but I just found and and playing them at CanCon, I found that that would they were useless for they were pretty much objective grabbers and for the same points i can take two units of 10 um chain ras horde and they do the exact same job except i can get an extra objective um yeah yeah so yeah the 10 grim gas reapers i personally wouldn't take again um and i personally probably would advise not taking them with people like with if people are thinking of it i just or take find them in like 20 or 30s you either want yeah, to bump them up in the 20s and 30s or you've got to take them put, in a big unit yeah, yeah do something else like neomon banshees take some more chain rust hordes just do something yeah. that's not a a small unit of, of grimmies but then the problem is they end up they they do start costing points so you if you bump them up to 20 there's 320 points so it starts they start getting expensive. Sure. And, I mean, for, for some people when we get to this list, you know, the Mongol, for example, is a Forge World model. So for some people they might not have the Forge World model. Maybe then that they can get, they put those 280 points into Grimmies. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. And, again, this is the great thing about these lists, guys, is that uh, we're just showing one of many different ways. If you love Mirbon Banshees, for example, or you love something else in the range, you know, switch and, you know, season to taste. 
but yeah, uh, this yeah. is just the list that worked for Matt. Yep. Got the Spirit Host. You've got nine Spirit Hosts, lots of wounds there. They do mortal wounds there. Um, they've got three wounds apiece. They're going to tie things up. What else do they bring to the table? Uh, look, they're, they're, all, they're almost as good, if not better, than a 40-unit of Chainrass Horde with holding back your opponent. Um I think I play. I played against an Ideneth list that had a unit of six. Um, the defensive eels, um, and turn three got buffed up with the king to have an extra. What they have an extra three or four attacks, um, and they charged into my spirit host, and I think at the end of that combat may have killed three or something. Um, once again, I think I might have had the reroll saves triumph in that game, which, but yeah, they ju he just couldn't do anything to them. And then they just did the mortal wounds back, which mortal wounded them off the board in the end. But um, yeah, nine spirit hose are bloody good. Uh, they're, they're strung out. They, they take up a lot of board coverage because they're quite big bases. Um, and you keep them in range, as I said earlier, of the Spirit Torment and the Black Coach. You can be bringing back 2d3 of them every turn. Um, you give them plus 3-inch move to them, so they're a 9-inch move. Uh, they're quite a good, like, they're a really good unit, and they're the core of my army. Like, I, I play around that unit sort of thing. Um, and it's the most expensive unit in my army. Um, but yeah, those spirit hosts. I, I always had a unit of nine in my legions and a gash list as well. Um, I've always loved them. I, I think they're one of the better units in the game. Um, but you got to use them right. You got to pick your. Uh, you got to pick the targets with them as well if you're going to be aggressive. Um, there's no point running them into a unit of phoenix guard, for example, because they're just not going to do anything. Um, well, they'll just both sit there for the whole game. They'll just... Like, yeah, uh, exactly. Two like, unmovable walls just won't move. So it's pointless. Um, but you, you run them into an ethereal vampire lord on Zombie Dragon, and they're just going to punch through that model. Or, or for example, in my last game at CanCon, I played against OBR, and I charged them first turn into a unit of 20 Mortec Guard and with them and the Black Coach, and I, I wiped out that, that whole unit. Um, with pretty good dice rolls, but you know, I think I had the wave of terror come off as well. But to just wipe out a unit of twenty more tech guard in one combat is no, no, no easy feat. But um, with with them, it's actually quite easy. Um, but yeah, you got to pick choose your 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 targets with them. Next up, you got the Black Coach. I love the Black Coach. It's something that, uh, and I look at the Invocation of Death, which is a fascinating rule. I, you know, you basically roll three dice, and basically for every round, so you roll three dice on a four plus, it gains power level, and it just keeps powering up to four, five different levels, and these abilities yep. stack. So it is a very swingy model, and I think that's one it thing is. I've noticed with the Black Coach. I've played Deke a few times. Deke loves his Black Coach. Um, yep. And sometimes he'll get like a lot of power levels up by round two, and he just like shoots it at yep. me. But then other times where like he get, he almost gets no power levels, and by by round two or round three, it's still only on power level one or power level two, so it's not doing the full potential that he wants. And it has no deathless save; it's not a hero. So it's a fascinating model. What does a black coach bring to your list, and why would you add it? At 220 points, because that is 
almost another unit of 40 chain wraths. Uh, look, at 220 points, it's a steal. Um, it, I think when it first originally came out, I'll just, I've got the book here. I think it was like 280. Um, yeah, I think, I think it was much more expensive. 280. No, it was 280. Yeah. So for it to drop 60 points, it's sort of making it more viable. At 280, it was too expensive. Um, but yeah, at, at 220, it's a really good cost. Um, it's a, as you say, though, it's very swingy. Um, the way I was playing it in my list was to help bring back those spirit hosts in the first one or two turns if needed. Um, so to me, uh, early on playing this with this model in most games, um, I would try and do a first turn alpha strike with it. And I, I, I quickly worked out that's not the way to play the black coach. Um, as you were saying, like you, you've played games against it where I've had games as well where you turn two, turn three, you, you still you, you might only have one power level, like, and the power levels make that make the black coach what it is. Without yeah. powering up, it's pretty, it is pretty lackluster. But even still, even fully powered up, it's not a unit that's going to pump out a lot of damage. Once again, it's. It's just another unit in the army that'll chip away at stuff, um, and that you've got to play it like that. You can't expect it to take out everything. I mean, like when you look at you know level three, for example, uh, when you charge, is going to do mortal wounds on a, on a two plus. Um, when it finishes a charge, when it gets to level four, it's going to be able to retreat and charge. Level five, it's going to in your hero phase, you're able to um, do D three mortal wounds to something with your yeah. inches. So, so it does it's another one of my cool stuff. Another one of those units in my army that does mortal wounds, um, I think was one of the questions earlier, um, is, yeah, it, it, a lot of the units in my army does mortal wounds, but it, it's none of them can overpower stuff, really. They're just all chip chip damage. And the, the Black Coach has, you know, a, a move of 14, which is awesome. Uh, it has 12 wounds. So it is probably the... the the thing that has the most wounds in your army and some of the most speed. Um, before I go into the Mongol, just a quick question from the chat is, with the Spirit Hosts having such large bases, do you find it's challenging to get all nine Spirit Hosts into combat? Is that even important? Or how do you kind of work around these large bases? Um, yes and no um, to important. And if I do, um, I, so a lot of the time, Yes, I'm not getting them all into combat. It just depends. If I get charged, I normally have them strung out so I can wrap around a bit. Um, but that means you can get tagged on the end, which sucks. Um, but if you're if it's your turn and you're doing the movement, you've got that nine-inch move with the, the pendant of fell wind. So potentially the nine-inch plus your charge, you can normally wrap around units with them quite well. Um but a lot of the time, it doesn't matter if you're not getting all nine into combat. They're, as I said, they're not a unit that you're always going to use to pump out the damage. They're, they're there to do damage, but they're also there to hold up your opponent as well. So to have nine, having nine in the unit is really good because you've got that redundancy. Um, for example, if your opponent does six damage, uh, kills six of your spirit hosts and you only got a unit of six, well... You're not bringing any back, but having that unit of nine and you lose six, well, you, you're bringing back 
potentially bringing back those six in one turn. So I find nine is so much better than six. I just find nine is almost impossible or not impossible, but it's very hard for your opponent to wipe nine in one turn. Um, For opponent to wipe six is a lot more doable. Um, And I have had that happen in quite a few games where I've lost six or even seven in a turn. Um, But the, the fact that I can just bring them all back is, is just is so good. Like it's just it's what it what makes the points really. Like it's what they are. So you see, so basically, you know, basically the having nine and getting them into combat is not the strategy. You're building in redundancy. You're being building in board control and you know tapping into maybe dragging an additional unit and tying them up with this super durable unit. That yeah. um, not necessarily having to prepare and try to stack all the damage from this unit because that's not the key. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Finally, the one that people may not be familiar with because it is not, I don't think it's in the book. It's the no, model not. is not, not in the book. It's a Forge World model. So uh, it is still currently available, folks. You can go into Forge World when Forge World reopen and pick yourself up a Mongol. Uh, it is a cracking model holding up this horse and just absolutely annihilating it. But we've already heard some of the benefits. It's got a minus one to hit or minus one to yeah. bubble and a leg one to hit. hit. And if, if it if it um if I remember correctly, if it kills a model, it gets to heal back wounds. Like this is a cracking model. I love it. Why did you bring it? Uh it another model that I had in my um cabinet was painted and it looks really cool. Um second of all, that neg one to hit bubble is really good. Um it only affects models within range of six, not units which is a bit annoying at times um but it does help your list quite well um and the mortal wound another it's another model that does mortal wounds so every six to hit is two mortal wounds um and when it's fully healed it does eight attacks so potentially you're doing on average close to four mortal wounds a turn um but obviously you can spike that and if you've got the re-roll ones to hit from your spirit torment, you potentially get one or two more. Um, so yeah, and he, he's really he's a really good candidate to put in your un, from the underworlds. Um, he can pop up and and kill off those those heroes, or even pop up and take out a half a unit in one turn. And the fact that he heals at the end of the com- at end of each combat phase. It's not the hero phase, so you're getting it twice every battle round. Um, and you, all you got to do is kill one model, and he heals D three wounds. He's a four up save ethereal, obviously, um, and he has ten wounds. So he has he is quite hard to to take off the board. And the fact that he's neg one to hit, um, yeah, he's 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 a really good model. He's two hundred and eighty points. He is quite expensive, but um, I just liked the model, to be honest, and I like, I just liked having him in, in the army. If you're a Legion of uh, Nagash player as well, uh, I've seen this model stack really well with Legion of Blood. With Neferata plus, you know, getting a, a, a minus two bubble uh, yeah. is brilliant, but obviously we don't have Nephi in um, in, in Nighthaunt. But no. getting that minus one, and, you know, it's, it's a, again, another durable piece. Yeah, I brought him to um, Sydney GT two years ago um, and I had him, I combined him with my, um, had my 
Vampire Lord on Zombie Dragon. Um, he was general. He had Aura of Dark Majesty, so he was neg one to hit in combat. And I had the Mongol running with him, so he was neg two to hit in combat. He was ethereal, so he was a three-up save. Yeah, it was. It, he is good, <laughs> but yeah, he's yeah, very expensive. That's juicy. And then obviously, you know, and, and to kind of wrap this up, you've also got a command point. So we've already acknowledged that you've got a triumph and a lot of times yep. at 1990. Um, anything else you'd want to talk about this particular list or we'll kind of do a bit of a quick overview of the difference of, uh, and you have submitted another list and yep. it's more about like, what would the, what would a Nighthaunt list potentially look like? Uh, KenCon was the start of the year. So yep. we've had, you know, um, uh, Seraphine, we've had uh, Wrath of the Everchosen, we've had, you know, uh, Zinch and KO and all this stuff that's coming out. So what would, you know, a, a new list look like? Um, any final thoughts on that particular list, Matt, before we kind of uh, quickly go over the last one? Yep. Yeah, um, look, I think it was a pretty well-rounded list, um, but you got to know, you you got to play it for the objective game. Um and that's how it's played. Uh, my, like, for example, quickly, uh, my first game at CanCon was against um, Slaves to Darkness. It had um, Archeon. And I knew that this list can't kill Archeon. I know it can't. But the scenario we played was, um, was it six objectives or whatever it was? I knew I, I, knew I could take the objectives. Um, and that's what I did. And I just ignored Archeon all game. Like he, he sort of, I baited him to one side with Olander and that, and he killed him first up. But I wiped the rest of his army with the rest of my army. Like, you got to know how to play it. And then by the end of it, Archeon was still alive, and I still had most of my army still alive because he couldn't be everywhere at once. Um, so, stuff like that, you got to know how to play the army, and you, you, you got to build your list around that. And that's the strength is you're able to dictate the terms of the battle. You've got super yeah. regeneration ability. So you're going to be able to just absolutely tie things down. So whether it's Nagash or Lariel, you know, these big point sinks in, in heroes, you're able to tie them up with something that's super durable. And, you know, you've essentially taken out a, you know, 500 or more points um, out of the game because just tying them up and just annoying the crap out of your opponents. Yeah. Um, the last list you've kind of you've kind of given me does have some commonality, but we've got some some tweaks. So yeah. again, for our friends that are playing from home on the podcast, we've got Kurdos, we've got Lady Alinda who's got Soul Cage, we've got Spirit of Torment who has uh, who is the general ruler of the spirit hosts and uh, pendant of the fell wind. We've got a guardian of souls with Shade Mist that looks like all the same. Yep, all the correct? same. Yeah, everything's so the same. Can... Yeah, except the uh, the only thing I've changed is the ten Reapers. For, I've, I've submitted two units of 10 chain rass. Um, main reason was I've got 10 drops now, so I can put five units in the underworlds. I've got that extra 10 wounds in the list. Um, another that, that could be another screen. It could be another unit to take objectives, um, you know, all those. I think it's better than... Giving a bit more versatility than, you know, as you've mentioned, yeah. the Grimmies. Again, the Grimmies yeah. in a unit of 10, probably not really maximising what they bring to the table. But, um, you know, I, I might even challenge you and say, you know, something like the Miramon Banshees might be a good addition to a Nighthaunt army right now with just purely the amount of spell casting that's out there, whether it's from Seraphon, whether it's going to be the Lumineth with our, our good friend Teclas, whether it's the Hallow Hearts, whether it's the Zenches. Uh, this might be something you want to consider. Um yeah, so you or could, am I, or, am I, or am I wrong? Oh no, you could potentially drop the Mongol 
um, and take uh, your 12 Myrmorn Banshees. I think they're 210 points. Um, and then with the extra 10 points you got spare, you could, that's, you'll have 80 points spare, so you could potentially take another unit of 10 Chainrass um, or you could bump up one unit of 10 to 20. Um, so, that, yeah, if, if you don't have access to a Mongol, I definitely would go down that route. I do like Myrmorn Banshees. They are really good. Um, I just couldn't fit them in my list. Um, but, yeah, if, if you don't have access to a Mongol, that's probably what I would do. If I didn't have access to it, I, I would take the Myrmorn Banshees and and maybe another unit of 10 Chainrass. Just so I think for the board control. So I'm hoping based on this, like, 90 minutes so far that, you know, Nighthawk players, whether you're new, whether you're an existing player, you're starting to kind of hear what Matt's saying around the strengths and tapping into the advantages and putting it into a list. And, again, this is not the only list that you can play with Nighthawk. You know, absolutely bring in, you know, your Guardian of Souls, bring in, you know, the different variety of units that you can bring to the table. This is just merely an example. Um, anything you'd want to add to that before I ask you the, my final two questions? No, I think we've covered most of it. I think, you know, yeah. Yeah, I think. And by the way, I, I, I need to acknowledge that you've got an awesome isolation beard going on right now. So <laughs> it's have. getting there. <laughs> uh, shout, shout out to the ISO beards. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, think, I think soon I'm going to start planning my like a Viking, maybe get some, <laughs> like, some jewelry in my beard. Um, but the. the <laughs> so the first question I've got for you before we bring it home is uh, how does this army win? So, again, objectives and opponents will always change, but at the fundamental core, how does a Nighthorn army win game? Okay, so depending on your opponent, obviously, and the and the objective game, um, board, board control is what wins the games with this list. Um, it... You need to play the objectives with this list as well. You've got the numbers to do it, and and your hard to your numbers are hard to push off objectives. Um, but and the fact that you got underworlds, you can pop up anywhere on the board. So you want to always use your underworlds, uh, and that ten inch charge is just yeah, it's a must to try and go for. Um, if you've got spare command points, use them on on your charge rolls. Like it, it can really change the game. Um, but yeah, I, I just found that the board control is what wins the games with Night Haunt. Um, and, and retreat out of combat if you need to, don't always stay in combat. Um, the good thing with Night Haunt is they fly, so you can retreat over your enemy and run to an objective if they're blocking you. Um, that's another great thing with Night Haunt is they ignore in movement, obviously, they ignore terrain they ignore everything so um yeah the the fly ability which i hadn't really talked about till now um is really good um it can change the game so always retreat when needed um take objectives just board control make your opponent go where they don't want to go but they have to go um and you'll win more games than you'll lose Two rapid-fire questions that have come up from the chat before I close the show uh, with my final question. So from the chat, uh, is there any uh, easy way to amass chain rust hordes? Is there any box sets or start collecting, or is there an easy way of getting them that you can recall? Uh, um, maybe try and buy them off Facebook, off um, Buy, Swap, Sell. Um, All right. <laughs> I, 
I originally bought three star, uh, three of the new box set when it came out. The, the Soul Wars. That, the Soul Wars box. I bought three of them um, and I sold off the Stormcast because I didn't need it. But um, So that got me 60 chain rats, I think it was, or something ridiculous straight up because um, they're, they're really expensive. They're, they're stupidly expensive for what they are, um, chain rats, but... If you can buy them secondhand or, or buy them in box sets is the way to go. Second last question, the one from the chat and then my closing comment is yep. uh, any opinion, what are your opinions and thoughts on Bladegeist? Uh, they're good. I've just had bad experience with them in the past. Um, they're a unit that people take to pump out lots of damage um, and I don't think think night haunt are that kind of army um well not the way i play it if you want to play it that way that's fine and it does work but the way the way i play it is more more to wound output and more about chipping away and you know being being where the opponent doesn't want you to be etc whereas yeah blade guys they need to be up in combat um and yeah they just so I, I, I played I played against a Blade Geist list um, that come from the Underworlds and they did get the ten inch charge and it did hurt it yeah. did hurt but oh, yeah. that was a sequence of events that you can't predict so yeah, um, yeah so it's not a strategy you can build around and if you can pull it off happy days uh, but there's a bit of inconsistency so if you are a tournament player one thing that tournament players absolutely love is consistency and reliability yeah, but. Exactly. But it's yeah. got its place. But just they're, know they're, that you're not always going to hit the strike first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, they're fan. Like they can be really good. You just got to build your list around them, obviously, because you want to take them. You want to take them in big units as well. They're a bit like the Reapers. And if you're in England, by the way, there I think there's uh, chain rasps uh, in the mortal wound, mortal wound, the mortal yeah, wound yeah, magazine yeah. as well. But we don't have that in Australia, so we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, unless you want to send us some uh, from Australia to, to Australia, uh, someone in the chat's having a laugh because they have a hundred of them. So I'm just going to cry. Final, final closing comments from the show. Uh, with all of your experience now that you've played this book for a while and you had success with them, what have you learned from your experience playing with them that might not be obvious to someone picking up this book for the first time? Uh, look, there definitely are. And I knew this right from the start. They're not a beginner's army. Um, I don't think beginners can pick this army up and play really well and win games. They're an army that you need to know the game. You need to play quite a bit to be able to play them well. Um, I think just more practice. the more practice you have with them, the better you'll be. But if you're picking this army up thinking that you're going to stomp your opponents every game, it's not going to happen. And, and some people want to play that way. Like That's what people play Iron Jaws or, or Ideneth or, you know, they want to be able to try and stomp their opponent in two or three turns. But um, Night Haunt's a, an army that you play f to win on objectives points. Um, and if you wipe your opponent, then, hey, that's that's great. Like I, I at CanCon, I still, I think two of my games, I wipe my opponents. But... Um, that's not the. That's not how I play the army. It's just. It just was a fortunate run of events that I end up wiping my opponents. But um, yeah, you got to play the objective game with this this army. 
I, I will partially challenge you and say that it, I think it is a beginner-friendly army, and why I say that is because you ignore rend and you've got good movement. So you can run up the board and you can do some consistent damage. But to take full advantage of the army, I think you're 100% correct that, you know, to be able to do the underworld, to be able to, you know, the, the, the buff ranges of 12 inches are quite restrictive and I think it's easy yeah. to move out of the holy within. So that is yeah. not very user-friendly. No, but if that, you just want to do the fundamentals of just running up and having a good time with your mate, it's a great army. Yeah, you really yeah, want to tap into, yeah, I, I yeah. think it's kind of like oh, yeah. it's. It, it depends it's, how you want to play. If you want to be competitive and you you're only new to the game, probably don't pick this army as your first and only army. If you want this army for something that looks great, if you're a good player, yes, hell, like Ash McEwen, he's done awesomely well with Nighthaunt over the last year and a half. Um, you can the army can be played really great, like really well. But as I said, it's not. I don't think it's a beginner's army in that sense of the word. In the other sense of the word, in the hobby sense, it's it definitely can be because there's a lot of contrast painting you can do with them. Um, and if you just want to pick them up, have great looking art models, and play against your mates for fun, hell yeah, go for it. Don't I'm not definitely not saying don't do that. I'm just saying from a competitive point of view, yeah. they're not a beginner army. Yeah. I, I just don't want to just, you know, disencourage anyone who's picking this army up for the first time and thinking this is really hard. It's not. But to take full advantage, you know, yeah. you're going to have to learn and master this and get really good. But the good thing as well is I remember Vince Venturello and Warhammer Weekly of Fame, um, they did like a bit of a, a, a survey and a poll and, you know, Nighthaunt was, you know, either first or second when it comes to aesthetically one of the armies that people just absolutely love. So, yeah. Um, yeah. You're buying this not just because it's a great army, it's it's fun to play, but it's nice to paint as well. And we spend more time probably painting our models than we actually do gaming. So yeah. um, I think that's important to recognise. And whether you are a new painter and you just want to put contrast down for the first time or you're an experienced painter and you want to just do an absolute cracking job, this army is great in my opinion. Yeah, like I think my black coach, I spent over 30 hours painting it. It was... A marathon <laughs> it looks good but and i think you know and i think you know to, to to bring this home there's a question around you know which death army would be would, would you recommend for scrubs i imagine uh that's a reference to a new player or maybe a doctor maybe you're a, you are a doctor in that case you 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 do what you want to do but i think death is just generally a fun army whether you go to the cards whether you go uh legions in the gash whether you go petrifix obr um, because you, there's no other way to build OBR than Petrofix Elite. Um. <laughs> I look and Fex, Fex. If you want to play Death and and have an easy army, I think Fex's pretty easy as well. Um, even Legions and Nagash is not an easy army. Like it's it, it is easy, but it's not. Um, but I think yeah, Fex and OBR are probably the two easiest Death armies if you want to play easy mode. <laughs> Let's bring this home. Uh, is there any shout-outs if people want to find more about you? I do have the mayor's Twitter handle in the description, so please make sure to go follow this man. He is a brilliant mastermind in all things death. He is a, a wonderful hobbyist as well, so uh, definitely worth the follow. But if people want to find out more, they want to ask you things, where can they find you? Yeah, so obviously on Twitter. Um, I'm on Facebook, but that's probably more of a private account or oh, personal account. Um but but yeah, kiss, just, you're kissing babies and, and shaking yeah, hands yeah, for old yeah. people and doing <laughs> mayor, mayor things that you do. 
Uh, yeah. Although you don't you don't kiss babies and shake hands in COVID right now because that would mean you're breaking social distancing rules. <laughs> I drink I drink bleach. I'm fine. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, you're in the death groups. There is a Nighthawk group. There is a Grand Alliance death group as well. So yeah, I'm uh, in the group. Check them out. Um, yeah, and I'll just shout out to the our local gaming club here, Borderline Gaming. Um, yeah. So no, it's it's a good little community here. We're pretty small but we've got some good players um obviously uh on the master we had adam burt last year or two he's won cancon he was ranked number one yeah i didn't didn't hear about that (laughs) um so yeah it's a pretty strong little community here of um players and even jesse perkins made masters as well last year so out of the half a dozen or so people that play competitively here locally um we've got a pretty good showing nationally so yeah shout out to them all right well shout out to the boys uh now it's been an absolute pleasure i'm glad we got to talk about all things night horn it's certainly an army we don't talk enough about because while it's not the the hot flashy army in the meta the book has been two years almost to the day well we're pretty we're getting pretty close to a two-year yep. anniversary so who knows what the new general's handbooks we're going to bring to the table who knows what the new uh if the new battle tone is going to come out or maybe white dwarf gives us some uh, additional allegiance abilities uh there are some new battalions that came out in a uh, in a, a white dwarfs a couple of months ago so there are new ways to build this but um i personally would love to see my, more night on the table uh i think they're yeah, a fantastic look, army. I, I don't think they I don't think that like I think the books become more relevant actually in this meta than what it was when it was released. So I don't think there's a lot you could change about the book. Um, but yeah, I think they could be given some. Battalion. Give me some allegiance. Give me some allegiance. Yeah, let me, let me, some let me break off into some maybe like a, an Olinda build and a, a Kurdos yeah, build. Yeah, and a... yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's wrap this up. Uh, don't forget, folks, to shoot the heroes and make sure that you are uh, rolling more sixes and you roll ones. Uh, Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much. Thanks, and we'll talk again soon. It's always a pleasure having been on, man. Thank you. Friend of the channel, Matt, 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 <laughs> Matt the Mayor. <laughs> Matt Mayor. All right, see you, folks. Bye. See ya.